above today. Uh, and it's not, um, as Felicity said earlier, it's not just wise sayings, but it's the wisdom we live by, and there's two types of wisdoms. Uh, there's either the wisdom that comes from God or the wisdom that comes from the world. And, and James uh, tells us to reject worldly wisdom and live by God's wisdom. So we're going to hear three, um, three things this morning that James explains. James explains how to identify the wisdom we live by, why it is necessary to reject the world's wisdom, and third, how can we reject the world's wisdom? So let's start with the first one. How can I identify the wisdom I live by? James tells us the way to know the wisdom we're living by is by looking at our hearts and looking at our actions. Right? Hearts and actions. Uh, and, the, uh, and he says that um, in, uh, he just pretty much says it pretty clearly. Uh, he says, who is wise and has understanding among you, he should show his works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness, right? The outward, the actions. That wisdom from above, in verse 17, is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy, good fruits without favoritism and hypocrisy. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. So that's the character of, um, of those who are wise by God's standards. Uh, so who is wise and has understanding among you? Who has God's wisdom? What does it look like for someone to have God's wisdom? He should show his works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. So it's more than doing good, although that's included in it, but it's the means of good. It's how you do good. What sits behind the good work? What's motivating and driving your good work? James says someone with God's wisdom will do good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. It's how you do it that matters. Uh, for example, you could be an amazing doctor. I know lots of people who love amazing doctors that are really skilled, really good at um, transforming somebody's body or helping somebody's body who has a problem. But we don't really like rude doctors. We don't like doctors that are cruel or are in it for the money. We know that the best doctors are those that are kind and are gentle with their patients. Um, it, it helps you to trust them. How you do things matters, right? This, this is the same for our church context as well. How we do things amongst ourselves and in our community as we show God's love matters. Uh, for, take one example. We could serve people in need by providing them meals. Uh, lots of people love that. And we could do that with a joyful heart. Uh, but it could also be done begrudgingly, thinking about how much of a hassle it is, thinking they might not have liked my food or trying to be make our food better than other people who are serving. Uh, that wouldn't be fitting with God's wisdom. Uh, and we've been thinking last couple of weeks about our speech as well. How do we speak to others? Uh, we need to communicate things amongst ourselves and you can do it in a very matter-of-fact way or you can do it with wisdom's gentleness, with kindness and thoughtfulness, uh, especially if there's conflict among God's people. How do we sort things out? Is it matter of fact you did ABC, or is it with wisdom's gentleness, with a thoughtfulness about how you're going to approach the other person? God's wisdom is about serving people. God's wisdom is pure, which means holy. It's without sinful intentions. It's gentle and compliance. You need more than one person to be gentle and compliance. The picture is of God's people working together and loving each other to serve him and each other. Uh, we'll, we'll fill out this picture a bit more in a moment, but let's have a look at the wisdom of the world. James says, uh, how, uh, what does the wisdom of the world look like? 
Uh, he says, if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't brag and deny the truth. So just like uh, we can see the wisdom, uh, God's wisdom in hearts and in actions, we can also see the world's wisdom in hearts and in actions, right? If you have selfish, uh, selfish ambition and bitter envy in your heart, don't brag and deny the truth, James says. And now James is not talking about a fleeting kind of temptation to envy, like, oh man, I really wish I had that, but it goes away. Uh, I think that this is an intense, angry envy. It's an I want what others have and I'm bitter about it. Uh, what's selfish ambition? Ambition itself is not wrong. Jesus tells his disciples, actually, it's good to be great among, it's good to be great, and the greatest one will be the servant of all, Jesus says. Selfish ambition, though, is about self-promotion. I want to be seen to be the best. I want to be recognized. I want everyone to look at me and say, what a great job you've done. It's about finding your own satisfaction and desires being met in what you do. Now, James says these qualities do not come from God's wisdom. It comes from the wisdom of the world and from demons. And you see what he says there. He says such wisdom, the wisdom of bitter envy and selfish ambition, does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. It doesn't come from God. Uh, so it's earthly in James. What he means by that is that it's coming from the world that rejects God. So the world that rejects God, um, that's where the wisdom's coming from. Uh, the wisdom is also unspiritual. James's readers would have prided themselves as being spiritual people who honored God and did things according to the Holy Spirit. Uh, spiritual was a good, good biblical term back then. Um, but James is saying that wisdom from the world is unspiritual. It's actually not from God, and it's devoid of the stuff from God. Uh, and the wisdom is also demonic, which means it's from the mindset of demons. Right? Selfish ambition and bitter envy is the sort of attitude that demons live by. It's the sort of attitude that they promote and want people, humans, to take on for themselves. And um, they want people to be ruled by these characteristics and these qualities. So James um, tells us that this sort of wisdom doesn't come from God, and he says it also leads to action. Uh, did you see there in verse 16, for where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every kind of evil. Uh, so I wonder if you see the picture that James is painting. He's saying the heart that follows God is pure, it's full of peace, it's gentle, compliant, it shows itself in good works and gentleness. But the heart that follows the wisdom of the world is ruled by bitter envy and selfish ambition, and it leads to every kind of evil. Uh, how, might, how might this wisdom show itself, the wisdom of the world? Uh, an example might be desiring to teach others. And we, we thought about this a bit last week. Uh, a desire to teach others, presuming to be a teacher, but you get jealous of other teachers. You want to be seen to be a better Bible study leader or a better preacher than other people. Uh, an example might be you serve publicly at church, but it's not actually about serving others. It's not about doing what's good for others. It's about you being seen and being recognized by others, showing off your gifts and abilities. Uh, James says good conduct with wisdom's gentleness is the wisdom that comes from God. Wisdom that loves and serves others. This is focused on serving God and others. And you might notice that in the text itself, James doesn't give any examples and I think the reason he doesn't give any ex examples is because he wants us to examine ourselves and look at our heart. 
He doesn't want to hold up this thing and say, this is exactly what selfish ambition and bitter envy looks like. He wants you to look at yourself and think about uh, what your actions are like and what your heart is like. Is there good and pure wisdom from God in there that shows in good works, that shows in your heart, or is there bitter envy and selfish ambition? And James warns about self-deception in this area. He says, don't be, uh, don't brag, don't be proud and pretend, don't, don't deny the truth, don't put on a facade. Uh, it's important that we don't deceive ourselves in this area because uh, we'll come to see in the next section that the wisdom of the world leads to conflict and it leads to conflict in a few areas uh, why is it necessary to reject the world's wisdom uh, the world's wisdom leads to conflict between people it leads to conflict within and conflict with god uh, and james directly links wars and fights among people to their hearts he says what is the source of fights and wars among you don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you you desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Uh, and this is the effects, James is saying, of selfish ambition and bitter envy. They cause fights and wars because everybody's trying to be the best. Everybody's trying to get what they don't have. Uh, now, words like war and fight and murder are probably representations of a community that's fighting with its words. It's probably not actual bloodshed there. But I think that this sort of imagery shows us how just what the damage can be that's done to others because of what can be in our hearts. Some people can be seriously hurt by conflict in churches. Uh, and I'm sure that you know people who have left churches or even the Christian faith over conflict within a church. Uh, and if this is something that you're presently affected with, that you're going through right now, I'm really sorry about that. And it's not the way that God wants churches to be like. And I would ask you to chat and pray with someone after our gathering. Uh, fights and wars among God's people, it's not what God intends. These sort of actions aren't pleasing to God. They sh don't show God's character or his wisdom. So the wisdom of the world leads to conflict between people, and it also leads to conflict within. James says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your evil desires. So James paints this picture of inner conflict and frustration as well not just conflict with others but conflict within because the, the individual who's led by the world's wisdom has all these selfish desires they have all these things that they want they're not content they're seeking after these things but they won't actually ask god for them because they know it's wrong for them to have them and so they're frustrated um, by that because they're not owning up to who they are and what they're actually wanting and when they do ask god in his kindness stops them from getting it because he knows that their motive is wrong so it creates this inner conflict and frustration where they're not satisfied they want more but they won't ask when they do ask it's not given it creates inner turmoil and it means that those who live according to the world won't be satisfied uh, and thirdly the wisdom of the world leads to conflict with god james says adulteresses don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Now, adulteresses is a really firm word. James uses this word because God's people are described as his, as his bride. We're in a relationship with him. And listening to the world and letting the world's values of selfish ambition and bitter envy rule our hearts is actually like breaking marriage vows. 
It's that serious to God. The seriousness is that living this way is living like God's enemy. James says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Uh, It's all a part of the package. If we want to be ruled by these things, we will be acting and living like God's enemies. Uh, Now, as as we finish this point and approach our next point, you might have noticed that James doesn't actually condemn those who are living by the wisdom of the world. He doesn't say... You guys aren't Christians yet, so put your trust in Jesus. Uh, He doesn't say you're out of the faith. He doesn't say you clearly haven't believed in Jesus yet. He actually identifies them as believers. They have the Holy Spirit. James says the Spirit who lives in us yearns jealously, which likely means the Holy Spirit yearns for us to live God's way. Those that James is addressing here, they are true believers. They're true believers who aren't responding to God appropriately. You could say they're going astray from God. Uh, You could say they're sinning against God, but um, they are still God's people and they are loved by God. They're a part of the people of God. And what James calls them to do is to reject the world's wisdom and live by God's wisdom. We've heard so far that wisdom of the world can be seen in our hearts and actions, can lead to all kinds of conflict. How can I reject the world's wisdom? Uh, James says in chapter 4, verse 6, he gives us greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. James tells us that God doesn't boot us out of the kingdom of God, but we receive his grace, his undeserved kindness. And the way to reject the world's wisdom is humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So James calls his readers to humility before God. That's the big idea. The response is humility. James says at the start and at the end of that section, humility means to stop considering yourself as the leader. It means letting go of pride, letting go of selfishness, recognizing God's rightful place as Lord and God over our lives. Humility is about handing God the steering wheel, Letting God drive, letting God direct the actions of our heart, uh, the thoughts of our heart and the actions of our hands. And James actually gives a huge long list of imperatives, um, commanding words here to describe what um, humility looks like. Uh, all of the um, all of the doing words there, all of the commands. He says, "Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you." Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded. Let's let's unpack a few of these. Uh, Submitting to God means living under God's authority. So get rid of the pride, get rid of the I think I know what's best, and do what is pleasing to God, even if it might feel hard or difficult. Uh, Resist the devil, um, pretty simple to explain. Uh, When you're tempted to sin, uh, resist the temptation to sin. Don't follow the wisdom of the world, but resist. And James says that Satan will flee from you. Um, Satan is not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He can't be everywhere. And so when believers resist him and say, actually, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to keep living God's way. Um, Satan, after some time, goes, oh, well, I'm not getting anywhere with you. I'll go and do something else. Um, So he uses his energies elsewhere. If you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Uh, Cleanse your hands. 
uh, very action-oriented, right? Idea of making your hands pure or innocent. Uh, so all the actions that you do, the physical stuff that you do, are pure and innocent. And purify your hearts, which means to make them holy. So help your hearts to be focused on the things of God. Uh, how do you do that? It's that searching your heart, uh, thinking about how your heart is going, um, reading scripture to it, to it uh, training it to love the things that honour God. Uh, we don't want to be led by our hearts, but we want to lead our hearts um, to follow God. Um, James says as well, um, be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Um, and I'd like to spend a little bit of time um, on this section uh, just before we finish. Because uh, this is a section that our modern ears uh, might reject out of hand. We might think, surely God doesn't want us to be miserable. Why would God want me to mourn and weep? Doesn't he care about my mental health? Hasn't he sent Jesus as well to pay for all of my sins and perhaps the sin of selfish ambition and bitter envy? Uh, well, yes, God does care for our mental health. Yes, he has sent Jesus to die for us and that has paid for our sin. Uh, but let's dig a little bit deeper and have a, have a close and careful look at this. Uh, what's James doing here is James is calling a people back to God who have been living proudly. They've been rejecting God with their hearts and in their actions. And their actions against God are serious enough for some of these words that James calls them. He says, calls them adulteresses. He calls them double-minded people, which means you're trying to honour both God and also the world. And also he calls them sinners. So these are people who have this new identity in Jesus. Yes, the old is gone, all is forgiven, but they've been living like they're in the wrong camp. They've been living like their old self and acting like God's enemy. And James is calling them here to realise the seriousness of their actions and to be sorrowful about the way that they've treated God. Uh, there's, um, there's a few different ways that our daughters um, say sorry. And I wonder whether you've seen any of these or whether you've done any of these um, <laughs> in your own family at home from time to time. Um, let me give you the first one. There's the angry sorry. Uh, and it looks a bit like this and sounds a bit like this. Sorry. <laughs> and the frown continues. It just waits there. And even if we point out... Do you notice you're frowning right now? It just doesn't go away. It just stays there. Um, the angry sorry, and I think the extra E in the angry sorry seems to be pretty important. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> so it's said with a hard frown. The angry sorry, what does it say? It says, I don't want to say sorry. I don't actually mean it. And you're making me do something that I don't want to do. And so I'm angry at you right now. Um, there's the cheerful sorry. It's, it's said like this. Sorry. And then the smile comes. And it, the smile just sticks around. It doesn't go away. Um, the cheerful sorry has no empathy. So it's happy to say sorry, but it doesn't really think it did anything wrong. And it sort of communicates, it's time to move on. Who cares? Sorry. Move on. Uh, there is... Uh, and I'm, I'm only arguing about it at this. I'd love to chat with you, some of you later about this. There's the full of guilt sorry. And I don't know whether this is a good sorry or not, but it looks like this. Eyes down, a little bit to the left. Sorry. It's a mumbled sorry. You don't look at the person, and I feel that this one is about 
avoiding the full impact of the guilt, right? I'm starting to feel a bit bad about what I've done, but I don't want to really feel it fully and I'm not ready to own up to what I've actually done. Um, and so they feel the guilt, but they feel uncomfortable about that, and they don't want to feel any more sort of pain or sorrow. Um, it's hard being a child and learning to say sorry. It's really tough to learn how to say sorry. Uh, but I wonder, how should we say sorry to God if we've been living like his enemy? James says it needs to be a humble sorry. Not an angry sorry, not a, not a cheerful sorry, uh, maybe not even a, a, a full of guilt sorry, but it's a sorry that knows what it's done, a sorry that really apologises and turns back to do what is right. And that's what James is calling for here. He doesn't think it's right to give an angry sorry or a cheerful sorry. And sometimes we can brush off sin and think, it's all good. Sometimes sitting in sorrow and misery can be a really good thing for our faith. Uh, now, we need to be careful here. We need to be thoughtful here as well. Some people can overwhelm themselves with guilt and misery and really beat themselves up. And that's not what James is calling for. This sort of sorrow is not a God doesn't love me sorrow or I'm really a terrible person sort of misery. This is a repentant misery. It's an I'm truly sorry misery. And notice that James doesn't expect believers to sit in this sort of misery or sorrow forever. Right? What does James say at the end there, verse 10? Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So God doesn't even want us to sit in that sort of uh, guilt-sorrowful place forever. But this is about repentance. This is about saying sorry to God and turning back to Him. God will lift you up. He will say it's okay. All is forgiven. Everything is restored. Uh, now, I wonder what you're thinking and feeling after all this. I wonder when was the last time you searched your heart and thought about how you served God and how you loved others. Sometimes we can be so driven by the importance of getting stuff done. God wants me to do stuff, so I'll do it. But we don't think about the heart and why we're doing things. Sometimes bitter envy and selfish ambition can creep into our heart without us even realizing it's there. Uh, if you've been following the wisdom of the world, James would say to humble yourself before God. Turn and obey him anew. Spend some time in sorrow and God will exalt you. Humble yourself before the Lord and God will raise you up. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your wisdom to us. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus, that all is forgiven. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would help us not to live by the wisdom of the world, our selfish ambition, or bitter envy, that we would live lives that are pleasing to you, full of good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. Amen.